Hello everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. So today is a little bit different. Yes, so this is the first time that we have ever not recorded together in person. So yeah, so just a little heads up, if the sound quality sounds different, that's why. Though hopefully you won't even notice. Exactly. So, quick fun fact before we even get started. As of the date that this was written, five of the 15 coldest cities in the world are in our province of Alberta. Lucky, lucky us. We also yeah. had over 500 traffic accidents the first day of our snowfall. So those are two of the reasons we figured we would try a little distance recording session today. And with that being said, we really hope you all enjoyed our three-part series on Eileen Wernos is actually the longest series that we've ever done. So thank you so much for joining us on that absolute emotional roller coaster. If you guys haven't listened to it yet, please go check it out after this. Since we did just finish a longer case, we wanted to cover a lady we've had on our list for a little while. Her story may not be the longest, but it is definitely sure to shock you. Today, we are going to be talking about a historic case from Italy. Yes, so we are going to be talking about Leonardo Cinciulli. For those of you who love the old-timey crimey cases, you are going to particularly enjoy this one because it gets pretty wild. So here's the deal. This is one of those stories that is almost so outrageous that it's hard to believe. We don't want to spoil anything for you ahead of time, so we're honestly just going to dive right into this one. Buckle in because we're about to talk about fortune tellers, murder, and bodies being turned into soap. And don't forget the cakes. Oh yeah, wait until you hear about what was in the cakes. Spoiler alert, it's a little old lady. That's right, so Leonardo Cincelli killed three women. She cut up their bodies and turned them into soaps, candles, and tea cakes that she served to her friends and family whenever they would visit. So you're probably thinking to yourself, why? And that is a very fair question. What would drive someone to do so many heinous things? Especially something as terrible as feeding human cakes to unknowing guests. Like, to me, that is a whole other level of cruel. Agreed. Okay, let's do this. In the past, we've tackled a few of these older cases from other parts of the world, and they're my personal favorite. The unfortunate thing about quite a few of these cases are that oftentimes records are lost or even changed over time. Luckily, with Leonardo, most of the information is relatively consistent, other than one very frustrating thing. Her birthday, which doesn't really surprise us. Birth records during this time may not have been 100% accurate to begin with, but it's quite likely that much of the data from around that time was lost in either the First or Second World Wars. Leonardo Cincelli was born in 1894 in Montella, Italy. The actual date is heavily debated, but it would have been either that year or very close to it. It's reported that she was the result of a sexual assault and that her mother was forced to marry her abuser. Rough start already. Father died shortly after her birth, leaving her mother to raise her alone. Childhood was reportedly full of neglect and abuse, which caused her to grow into a very depressed and anxious young woman. She made two attempts to take her life in her earlier years and was reported to struggle with her mental health during her entire life. It's said that around this time, she visited a fortune teller who told her that she would marry and that she would have many children. However, they would all die. If all that isn't bad enough, it is said that she visited a second woman for a palm reading. The woman took her hands and proclaimed, In your right hand, I see prison. In your left, a criminal asylum. 
probably not what you want to hear. No, absolutely not. Especially considering her fragile state of mind. At this point, she's been cursed by her mother, and now she's had two fortune tellers basically tell her that the rest of her life is going to suck. She married a registry office worker named Raffaele Pensardi in 1914, which greatly upset her mother. She had picked out a husband for her, and she was furious that she had gone against her wishes. So furious, in fact, that it is said that her mother cursed both her and her husband. Not a ton is known about her life as a young adult, but there's some reports that she was jailed in 1927 for committing fraud. The couple stayed together and moved to Lariano in Alta Urpinia, where in 1930 they would lose everything in a devastating earthquake. So this is a really, really bad one. And natural disasters are one of my biggest fears. And like big earthquakes like this are definitely up there on that list. So a little bit about this earthquake. It's now known as the 1930 Erpinia earthquake. Not to be confused with the 1980 Erpinia earthquake because this happened there twice. I guess lightning does strike twice in Erpinia. This particular earthquake claimed at least 1,400 lives, which was actually considered a low count due to the fact that an area of 6,300 kilometers was hit. The damage was unreal. The majority of the houses were destroyed, and theirs was no exception. The couple relocated to Correggio, where it seemed tragedy would follow them. She would become pregnant a total of 17 times. Leonardo lost three children due to miscarriages. If that wasn't devastating enough, out of the 14 children that she gave birth to, only four of them would survive. Like, how terrible. That, I, I don't even know how your brain could process that. Like, as if it's not devastating for that to happen once. Like, 17. Especially after a fortune teller was like, hey, all your kids are going to die, lady, and then all our kids die. Yeah, you'd start to think like, okay, prophecy is probably real really tragic thing about all of this is that the infant mortality rate during this time was incredibly high, so many women dealt with miscarriages. And if the child did survive, it was common for them to be taken by illness or accidents. The deaths of so many of her children caused her to become incredibly protective of the four that survived, which I'd say is pretty fair. Absolutely. It also didn't help her already fragile mental health. Unfortunately for her, and for many other women around this time, help wasn't really available and women were kind of just expected to deal with it and keep making babies. This led to Leonardo becoming an incredibly paranoid, anxious, and superstitious woman, especially when it came to her kids. All of that, combined with her obsession to be the perfect mother and wife, took an even further toll on her mental health, and she eventually began to have multiple breakdowns a day, sometimes over very small things. At this point, considering everything that she's gone through, this isn't exactly a huge surprise. I really don't blame her. 1939, she was devastated to learn that her oldest son, Giuseppe, was going to have to join the Italian army. Tensions in Europe were high, and Leonardo feared losing him if a war broke out. Especially considering she was pretty open about the fact that Giuseppe was her favorite child. Other kids must have just, like, loved that. No kidding. Like, you're just open about the fact that, like, out of the 17 children that you gave birth to or had pregnancies with, you're like, no, this one is my favorite. I mean, really, the other kids are just like, hey, thanks, mom. Thanks. Thank you so much. So this is where things start to get a little confusing because it doesn't seem like anyone actually knows how she arrived at this conclusion. But it seems that in her mind, there was only one way to stop Giuseppe from having to go off to war. And that was human sacrifice. 
So the idea of taking another life was bad enough in her Roman Catholic faith, but taking another life for the purpose of human sacrifice was considered an absolute abomination. And to be completely honest, there's a huge chance that she was so incredibly unwell at this point that she probably didn't even know where she came up with it either. She would begin killing that very same year. She'd earned a reputation as a card reader herself and was well-liked and respected by those who knew her. Many women would come and visit with her to have their palms read or simply just to get advice. Victims would all be women. The first, a woman named Faustina Setti, was 74 years old. Faustina had never married and had sought out Leonardo to help her find a husband. She was thrilled when she heard that a man in not what is now present-day Croatia was found and that he was absolutely perfect for her. It's reported that Faustina paid her all of her life savings in exchange for help finding a husband. Which she was okay with because she was promised that her future husband was quite rich. Leonardo claimed that he was a friend of hers and that he desperately wanted an affectionate woman to spend his final years with. Faustina even received letters from this man, or at least that's who she thought they were from. During all of this, her and Leonardo had become quite close and the older woman trusted her. Leonardo convinced Faustina not only to tell absolutely no one ahead of time where she was going and why, but also had her write a series of letters to her loved ones, basically saying, surprise, I moved to a different country, but it's all good. She did. Oh, Faustina. She did exactly as she was told and prepared herself for the big move. She was thrilled to meet her future husband. She sold everything she owned, including her house. Before she left, she visited Leonardo to say goodbye. Leonardo then gave her a glass of wine that she had drugged. She then attacked her with an axe and killed her. That wasn't bad enough. She chopped her body up into nine pieces, carefully collecting the blood in a large basin. We have an interesting account of this directly from Leonardo. She wrote a memoir while in prison called An Embittered Soul's Confession, which we were able to find parts of online. Unfortunately, it looks like it most likely was never published, so we weren't able to find the whole thing, but we really wish we could because the parts that we could find were pretty shocking. In her official statement, she says, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine, kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. Oh, so that's a lot to take in. And... Personally, it like it freaks me out how casually she says all of that. It very much gives me Hannibal Lecter vibes, you know, like I I ate his liver with a nice Chianti. (laughs) Very matter of fact. Definitely. Apparently, she sent her younger son to mail the postcards for her, although this is again something that may just be legend. However, the cards were mailed out and as far as Faustina's family was concerned, she was fine. Unfortunately, poor Faustina was forgotten about pretty quickly. Her family didn't really seem to question where she had run off to and life just kind of continued on. It didn't even seem that anyone was worried about all the missing money either. Leonardo met her second victim soon after, a 55-year-old widow named Francesca Soavi. 
She had visited Leonardo to have her cards read, and the two developed a friendship. One day, Leonardo told Francesca that she had good news for her. She had been able to find her an amazing teaching job in Piacenza. Good friend. No kidding. Francesca was thrilled with this news. She decided to take Leonardo's advice, and she sold all of her possessions to help prepare her for the move. So perhaps you guys are starting to see kind of a pattern appear now. Yeah. So shockingly enough, she was also persuaded to write postcards to her family. The wild thing about the postcards is that they were all postdated and clearly well planned out. We don't know how she convinced them to do it, but this is something that helped her get away with her crimes for a little bit longer. On September 5th, 1940, Francesca went to visit Leonardo to say goodbye. She was killed in a similar fashion and her remains were turned into soap. Her family was thrilled to receive two postcards from her a little while later where she spoke about how happy she was with her new teaching job. It appeared to be enough for them and they were happy for her. This is what gets me thinking. She's so manipulative that she was able to convince them into doing it because it was convenient for her. Or did she threaten them into doing it? This is something that we don't know, but the women, they trusted her a lot. But did they trust her this much? Because to me, like, hey, you should maybe write a postcard to your family before you leave. Like, here's the logic. And I think they would have been so optimistic and they're, you know, because they were basically told their dreams were coming true. And I think that if... If it was just a case of Leonardo convincing them, obviously they had some clouded judgment because it's like, how can you write a letter for a time that you haven't even experienced yet? Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of a sense. Like, you hope that everything's going to be all fine and hunky-dory and, you know, kittens and rainbows, but, like, you don't know that. That's just it. And especially, like, going to a different country to teach yeah. to a different city or whatever it is and just being like, yeah, the job is great before you've even gone, like... Personally, I I could have I wouldn't be surprised if she threatened them into doing it. Uh, it you know it could be the case or like maybe it's like well you better write these for me or your dreams are not going to come true or you know like words to that effect. Oh my god, absolutely. So people seem to like her overall. She was someone that was known to be trustworthy and kind. They could not have been more wrong about her. Less than a month later, Leonardo would take the life of her final victim. 53-year-old former opera singer named Virginia Cacioppo. story with her murder is very similar to the first two. She was convinced to move elsewhere, and when she came to say goodbye to Leonardo, she was killed. She was a creature of habit, I guess. She knew what had worked for her before and just kept that kind of train going. Her description of what happened afterwards is actually particularly gross. Yeah, so apparently Virginia was a little bit of a larger woman than the other two. And apparently, this pleased Leonardo greatly. She wrote, She ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. And she didn't mean, like, sweet personality-wise. She meant, like, the cakes were sweet. Like, Mm. thanks, Leonardo. That was really something that we needed to know. That little detail, and that just goes to show that she has no semblance of regret or remorse Oh, no, she did not give a fuck. No. And if that wasn't bad enough, Leonardo also stole a large amount of money and jewels from the woman after she murdered her. 
When Virginia's family received the postcards from her saying that she was all right, they immediately thought that something was wrong. Finally. Her sister-in-law, a woman named Albertina Fanti, had seen her enter Leonardo's home the night of her alleged departure and never saw her leave. She called the police and reported her suspicions. Not only that, another witness had reported that they hadn't seen Virginia leave, that later that evening they paid Leonardo a visit. He was alone. However, the witness noted something cooking on the stove and said that it smelled absolutely terrible. Over the next few days, Leonardo cashed some bonds that she had found amongst Virginia's things. She also began to spend the money pretty openly. This caused a lot of suspicion because she was under no circumstances someone who had a lot of money to spend. This, along with Albertina's testimony, was enough for the police to launch an investigation. Just like that, Leonardo Cincali's killing spree was over. She legitimately didn't seem like the brightest woman to me, but I think she knew how to choose her first two victims by picking people who didn't have a ton of family. And this is something that we've seen with a lot of serial killers. The third murder, she got cocky and probably just chose a woman who she thought had a lot of money. When the police questioned her, she originally was not willing to confess to anything. However, when the police implied that her son was involved, she fully confessed and gave the police enough evidence that they finally believed she acted alone. Especially considering the mutilation of the bodies. That's a lot of heavy lifting, but at the same time, she could have been capable of doing it. It was assumed by most that Giuseppe was originally involved. Her murder trial began in 1946. She pulled a total Baba Anuka in court and would often shout and correct people when they were testifying. An article that covered the trial stated, Leonardo gripped the witness stand rail with oddly delicate hands and calmly set the prosecutor right on certain details. Her deep-set dark eyes gleamed with a wild inner pride as she concluded, gave the copper ladle, which I used to skim the fat off the kettles to my country which was so badly in need of metal during the last days of the war. So thoughtful, Leonardo. You just, you know. statement. Given back to the community, you know. (laughs) A real woman of the people. No kidding. So after all this shocking testimony, she was sentenced to 30 years in prison for her crimes with three years in a criminal asylum afterwards. Which is super interesting considering that is exactly what the second fortune teller predicted for her. Exactly. I mean, she kind of made it seem like it would just be either one or the other, but Leonardo is, she's an over an overachiever. Stated in court that while Giuseppe did help her dispose of some bones by throwing them into a river, he didn't know who or what they belonged to and he had no clue about the murders. He actually refused to believe that she could have done something so heinous until she told him herself. He was never charged and he remained by her side. Prosecution attempted to prove that she was able to commit the crimes on her own. And for a short period of time, her other son, Joseph Pansardi, was alleged to be involved. However, he was cleared as well. While in prison, she wrote the book that we mentioned earlier, which again, unfortunately, is either no longer in print or just never was. Like we said, we do have small bits of it here and there, but I just, I really wish we could have found the whole thing because it sounds fascinating, but it just doesn't seem to exist anymore. Apparently in the book, she talked about how she made her soaps and provided tips on how to get the best soap possible while using human fat and flesh. Regular Martha Stewart. Honestly, like this is why I'm like going back to the whole Hannibal Lecter thing. Cause like, right? it seemed like he would totally write like a human cookbook. So she's trying to make it classy. Absolutely. While my victim was drinking an elixir I had prepared, I got an ax, 
place myself behind my victim and summoning my strength, struck the back of her neck a rattle, nothing else. It was a master stroke that almost beheaded her. In the book, she also attempts to explain why she did what she did. Talks about her poor socioeconomic state, the deaths of her children, and even mentioned the curse that her mother put on her. She was judged mentally competent by some and not by others. However, in the end, it was deemed that she was phenomenon of superstitious exaltation and criminal expertness. Which we honestly think is a fair bit more credit than she probably deserves. That was actually said by the chief of the Italian office of the international police. The police continued to investigate her for an additional five years because they believed she was not telling them everything. However, eventually, the case was considered closed. She died in 1970 at the ripe old age of 79 due to natural causes. Which, it seems like this happens so often with these older killer ladies. We have very few that we've covered that didn't die of natural causes or aren't like currently living their best lives in prison. Her body was returned to her family upon her death. However, the murder weapons are actually all still available for viewing at the Criminology Museum in Rome, which is currently temporarily closed, but it looks like it would be a fascinating place to visit. We even have the pot that she used to make her soaps. Leonardo Cincioli may not be a household name when it comes to true crime. As it stands, she isn't nearly as well-known as some of the other people we've talked about. However, we both firmly believe that this was a story that we had to tell. This is one of those cases where we truly wish we could have been a fly on the wall in that courtroom. We may never know the full story of why Leonardo Cincioli murdered three women. She really believed that it would keep her son from going to war? For the record, it doesn't look like it did. We were able to find some records that state he did go to war, but managed to survive. Is this the case of a woman who would do anything to protect her children? Or the story of an incredibly fragile woman with murderous tendencies? Was Leonardo evil, or was she just a woman who was pushed to the limit again and again until she finally snapped? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, any bit of pity that I have for her goes out the window when I think about the fact that she fed her victims to so many people and was just giving away soaps as presents to people that had no clue. Like, to me, that is a whole other level of psychological torment and cruelty. Because imagine finding out that you ate a human cake. That's why I don't take baked goods from people, ever. Honestly, I, I think there may have been um, a sort of insane part of her insane brain which truly believed that she was doing it to protect her son i think that's probably how she kind of justified it to herself but when yeah. she realized like oh shit these people are worth some money i need some money and i think it just kind of got out of hand and it's one thing to kill someone obviously i'm not justifying that at all but when you kill someone you're really only evolving involving sorry yourself and them but she fed them to the townspeople. Like, you've involved everybody. You crazy, well, crazy mean, woman. And <laughs> what? I'm sure you will agree. But to me, those people are victims too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely so, they are. Not only did she kill these people, she went out of her way to do what she did with the bodies. And then went out of her way to involve as many people in it as possible. Like, that's, to me, that's evil. Well, and especially um, considering the time and considering they were probably extremely Catholic and to find out that you had eaten another human being would have been devastating for people's oh my God. Like, psyche. 
you would start to feel guilty even though you had no control over it, I'm sure. Absolutely. And the other thing too to remember is that a lot of these people were poor. So a lot of people made their own soaps, made their own cakes. And so her giving them these things are maybe because they needed it. And then you find out it's people soap. Absolutely. And like you say, because people were poor, you're not going to turn down like a gift from someone. And it probably would have been considered extremely rude to turn down a gift from someone too. So... He uh, liked her anyway. Exactly. I don't, it's incredibly twisted. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm glad that she was brought to justice because she could have been like a Baba Anuka and go on until she was in her 90s, you know. But she, uh, they actually managed to get her before she was, you know, doing this for 40 years. Easily, because I think she liked it. I, I think there's a part of her that did too. Definitely. This was an absolutely wild case, you guys. As always, we would love to know your thoughts. Before we go, we wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone on our Patreon. You guys are amazing, as you know. We have our Grim VIP tier, which involves an episode shout out. So huge thank you to Mayhem Mudkip, Hillary, Brian, and Lisa. And we have a lot of pretty cool stuff available on Patreon, including our Discord, behind-the-scenes videos, and more. And you can join for as little as $3 Canadian. We're going to be recording our monthly Bedtime Stories episode next week, and we're super excited for it. And that one is available to all the tiers on Patreon. I'm really looking forward to that. The last time we did it, I laughed so hard, I cried, and I can't wait. We also have a bunch of old Goosebumps books, too, that we're going to be reading, so it's going to be fun. I love doing these little ones. It's so much fun. We also want to thank everyone so much who supported us during Extra Life. We want to do more charity work in the future as the Grim Curriculum. So absolutely stay tuned for all of that information. Until then, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at The Grim Curriculum and Grim Curriculum on Twitter. We're also on TikTok and Facebook. You can look us up. And we are available on all podcast platforms except Apple Music. Sorry, Apple. You can also find us on social media. We're going to link all of our personal socials below along with some other fun links for you. Thanks as always for listening, guys. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. Friends, consider this a friendly reminder to drink your water and not accept soap and cakes from old ladies. You never know what the secret ingredient might be. 